Welcome, fellow veterans. From the tip of the spear to in the rear with the gear. I went from active duty infantry to reserve component logistician. I'm your host, CEO, entrepreneur, trial lawyer, and Lieutenant Colonel retired, John Barry. The military lessons that I learned helped me grow an eight-figure business that has maintained consistent annual double-digit growth, landing on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America every year for the past seven years, and has allowed me to continue to serve America's heroes. Welcome back to Veteran Led. I'm your host, John Barry. Today we have Air Force veteran and guest, Laurel Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Laurel. Thank you. Just briefly, I'm going to talk about Laurel's bio. After her 13 years of military service, she had obtained her MBA, uh, Master's of Arts in Contract Management, and Doctorate in Education and Educational Leadership. She is currently teaching at Bellevue University. She believes her military experience has helped her with the drive and discipline to move much further ahead in life after her military experience. So, Laurel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell us how your military experience, well, let's, let's talk about your military experience. What did you do in the Air Force? Uh, I actually was two different career fields. The first five years, I was an electrician, a CE electrician who, interior electrician. So I'm the jack of all trees. I can actually go in and tell you if there's something wrong with it, with the electrical part. Lights, everything. You know, one of the biggest things that everybody want, liked about me as an electrician is I could bend conduit better than anybody, where it would take somebody three or four times to do it, and they'll be like, Laurel, come here. <laughs> can you do this for me? And I do the measurements, and I was able to do it one time. Uh, then I cross-trained uh, into finance, and that's really where things kind of blossomed. Yeah, two, two different skill sets. So when you when you initially enlisted, it was, it was for to be an electrician, and then they figured out you had a skill, and they allowed you to... Uh, change your MOS or branch transfer, whatever the Air Force would call it. Uh, we we called it career services. We called it, you know, uh, career change, basically. Okay. Yep. And so you move into finance, and and what were you doing for the Air Force and finance? Finance, I did a lot of different things. One of the biggest things that I like to do is when we went down country. So when I was stationed at Panama, uh, we were told, we learned how to go down and pay contracts. So we would actually leave with a brace a briefcase full of money and we'll go down to uh, Colombia and Peru and actually pay contracts. Um, and then we'd, we'd fly back and we'd always have that mysterious, the plane broke down type thing where, right. where basically the, 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 the pilot and the, the pilot crew wanted to stay there for a little while and do their shopping or eating, depending on where it was <laughs> that we were at. It was pretty funny. Um, I really did a lot in military pay and travel pay. Um, and I also did, um, behind the scenes, like I would look at the financial piece um, in regards to that. We actually looked at a lot of um, um, documents, like everything was done by documents, but we were able to see like what was committed, what was obligated and what needed to be paid out. Um, and then I, when I, um, then when DFAS opened, Defense Acquisition, Defense Finance and Accounting Services was this big push for finance. And so we went in and we, then they started combining bases. So even though I was stationed at Offit Air Force Base, we actually worked with all of the local areas like McConnell and places like that. And so that was a lot of fun too, because you got to see different accounting documents, uh, different accounting um, classifications, because uh, everything you'll know based off of what the number started with on what you were paying. For example, 57 was finance. You know, okay, or, right. or, or Air Force, you know, or if it was DFAS or defense, 
it would it'd start with a nine. So we would learn how to basically break down the classification of kind of decide where the money's gonna go. And that was a lot of fun. And we did a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And I was basically the fix it person. If there was an organization or, or an office that was broken, I'd go in and I'd fix it. And it was all based off of the documents. Well, I can remember as a commander, right? We would talk about, well, that's green money and that's blue money. And if you spend this money, you're going to jail. And we would hear that, you know, we were always scared about making financial moves as commanders because we had to make sure it was right. And I can remember, you know, in Iraq, we had the, yeah, the soldiers leave with a backpack of money. We called it foo money, where they were, they were supposed to spend it on the economy to, for you know, supplies, services, whatever. And those weren't like the big JARB contracts that we did. You know, these were, uh, you know, the Joint Acquisition Review Board contracts, stuff like that were like a ton of money, Right? But these exactly. are like small things to help the economy. And I remember, yeah, we'd have people leave, you know, leave the base with backpacks full of money. That was me. But it's but you were doing it in South America. I'd be worried people think that you were going to come back with cane or something. <laughs> no, we were very clean. We actually, we were actually um, secured a lot. We always had a security guy with us, uh, obviously because of the amount of money that we had. There was always somebody hidden with the gun because in a lot of the third world countries, having an uh, open open. Um, arms weapon out was against the law in most of those countries. So we had to have it secretly hidden so that we were protected in case something were to happen. Because you never know, especially with this being uh, Air Force and being military and being women not looking like, you know, the people down in, in the third world countries, we were targets basically. So we want to make sure that we were protected. So we always had somebody's security when we did have those briefcase of monies. You just wouldn't know when you had a group of six people, you wouldn't know who was the one who was security versus who's the one that was packing the money. Cause we would all have backpacks on uh, purpose right. to make it look like everyone looked the same. You know what I mean? Um, just for protection purposes. But it was a lot of fun. Um, I can tell you a whole bunch of different stories. I mean, the whole reason why I went into the Air Force is my, my sister's three years older than I, than I was. And after she went into high school and graduated, my dad sat down with me and my brother. My brother and I both joined the military. He went into the Coast Guard and I went into the Air Force. Um, and it, it was it was a, a, a big adjustment going from being in Florida and then going overseas uh the, w the one thing that helped me grow up real fast is back when I was in the military back in the 1980s, 1990s, we had to have a phone card. And those phone cards is how you made phone calls, you know, back to the States. I remember. You know, and that first phone bill, $300, you know, you might not think it's a big, big amount of money. But when you're an airman, when you get that phone, first phone bill, it's $300 on that phone card. And you got to pay that because you don't get payments. I had to grow up real fast, you know, because I was always calling home. And my dad would, back then it was snail mail, you know, everybody wanted everything by snail mail because we didn't have the internet and, and the, the cell phones and things like that or FaceTime. So everything was done through the phone or through mail. And it, I, I enjoyed getting those packages. The APO, those, right? The, the, the APO, APO address, yeah. yeah. And, and we look forward to that. And the biggest thing is, is they'd started learning that a lot of the people that I worked with didn't get those packages. So they would actually make a bigger package and bring it over and send it over to me so I could share it. Because that's what I would do. Yep. Yeah, those care packages were, were, were a lifesaver. And same when I was in a in um stationed for uh, Southwest Asia. You know, I was during Desert Storm, Desert Shield. I actually served during Desert Shield. And those care packages were amazing. You know, so now they, they have these organizations who actually do that for those that don't have anyone to do that with. And I think that's amazing because we didn't have that when I was in the military. Yeah, I was, I, I can tell you, first deployment, uh, care packages were, were really important. By my second deployment, 
Yeah, we had a PX that was pretty close, but pretty close by and most bases then had some form of a PX. Yeah. And I can remember I flew into, I can't remember where it was, but I flew in somewhere and some young Lance Corporal picked me up and was driving me. He said, sir, do you need to go to the PX? And I was like, yeah, you know, come to think of it, we don't like, you know, we don't have a PX where I am right now. So, <laughs> so he drives me to the PX. And then of course, what I didn't realize was he was he was taking me there because he wanted to go to the PX, oh, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so I got I got punked by a Lance Corporal who wanted to go to the PX. And he said, sir, you know, I want to make sure you're taken care of. Do you want to go to the PX? I'm like, yeah, I could probably pick up some things. And uh, yeah, but now he, he I, I picked up a few things. He, you know, had loaded up. So he, Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, that's, that's strategic thinking. You know, you kind of learn that like, okay, I got to take care of you. So if I take care of you, I can take care of myself. Right. So that, yep. Yeah, so that young soldier or young Marine either became uh, a great non-commissioned officer or part of the E4 mafia, right? <laughs> that just that ran the, the, the junior enlisted that run the, that run the organization behind the scene. So let's, Laura, let, Laura, let's transition to your civilian career. So you get out and, and I, I know you've, you, now you have several degrees and you, you, you work in education now. Tell me about that transformation, some of the challenges uh, moving from active Air Force to, to now being a civilian and building a new career. Well, the good thing is, is the Air Force did have the transition program that does kind of help you and prepare you, but it doesn't really prepare you. Um, I was stationed here at Offutt Air Force Base. I was moving back home to Florida and the transition was really tough. I left with a bachelor's degree because I took advantage of the of the uh, tuition assistance because I didn't want to use my GI Bill until I got out. Um, so I did leave with the with a bachelor's degree and even that wasn't enough because the 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 my education and my experience didn't match. So it was really, really hard when I first came out. And so within a week, I decided I needed to get my master's degree. Uh, so I went in and I got my master's degree. It took me a couple of years and then I just kept going. Um, so the, the master's of business administration really is the one that opened the doors. That's where I was able to, to move in. But then I wanted to be more specialized, you know, so that's why I went and got the master's in acquisition and contract management because I was currently in government contracting. Um, so a lot of the training that I was getting um, in government contracting was um, helpful. So I was able to actually get a, a graduate certificate in government contracting, which opened the doors at Bellevue. Okay, because when I got out of the military, I was working back when Ford had the recalls on their tires. I don't know if you remember that. There was a big thing on that, and it was a call center. And that's basically what I could do. And then I finally found a job where I worked in education, but I was a territory manager. And what that is is I recruited all of the military to get for this degree. And then I decided to come back to, to Omaha. Um, I, so I transitioned back to Omaha. But what, the good thing is, is because I worked at DFAS, they knew my name. And so when I applied for the position, they knew how strong I was. So they, I got to, to be a civilian at, at the defense acquisition or defense finance accounting services. Um, after a while, I decided I wanted to get into contracting because when I was in the military, we did this competition between finance and um, not between, but there was different teams and the team consisted of finance and contracting, government contracting. And I really got an interest in that because of my background in, in finance. And so that's why I got into government contracting. And because of that certificate and my master's degree, I was able to have that window to get into Bellevue University. Uh, Bellevue University at first, I was just what they call a, a SME, a subject matter expert. And that really is what really opened my doors. But the fact is, is you have to have a master's degree to even teach at a bachelor's level. 
Um, I was also doing a, a PhD program at that time, um, but I had I ended up stopping as I got to my dissertation because my mother passed away. So my focus did, from there went straight to my family. And it wasn't until 2017 that I actually went back to college to get my doctorate degree, which I did get my doctorate degree in education with a uh, major in educational leadership. And from there, just... It's, it's just open doors. You know, I've, the dissertation I did was on first-generation student-athletes, and I really have a, a, a passion for student-athletes. Um, and right now, because of the dissertation that I did, is we actually, my husband and I started a program at Bellevue University for students who have food insecurities. So we actually grocery shop each week for those students. But I've been at Bellevue for 19 years, and I love it. it it's, to me, you know, people talk about working. I don't work. I love what I do. It, to me, it's a career. Um, and every day I get to see different people, you know, make their milestones, seeing them graduate, going to the graduations. That's what I like to see. And seeing them succeed. Because to me, my, if my students succeed, I succeed. It means that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think as a leader in the military, right? That's what we, we learned that, that if our team succeeds, we as a leader have succeeded. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now and, and how this is what, how, what this has blossomed. I mean, you, you, you love what you're doing. You love, you love education. You've got a lot of missions, but I think there's a lot going on. So, so what is the thing that you're doing right now that you're most proud of? The one thing I'm doing most proud of is taking care of those people that can't that are having issues with food insecurities. That's a big program we started at about three years ago. Um, right now, we have 24 students that um, have been identified with food insecurities, and we shop for them every week for, to make sure that they have what they need. Because the idea is to get them to not. We want them to succeed on the field, but we also, as a, as a as a professor, I want them to succeed in the classroom. And how can they do that if they don't have what they need? to sustain themselves, you know, um, their bodies. And that is the biggest thing right now, because one of the things that a lot of people don't know is we do have a strong presence of traditional students at Bell University. And um, to get them to, to get what they need, like I said, to succeed both in the classroom and on the field, we need to make sure that they have what they, have, what they need. Um, our, our food services right now don't serve breakfast or meals on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the, our program is to kind of subside for that. So that's the biggest thing. And then graduation, seeing those, those smiley faces walk across that stage, because I go to every single graduation and we're standing on the stage with them. Um, and I have a lot of really close relationships with a lot of the students. So there'll be times where I'll just jump up and go hug them at the end after they take their pictures, just to let them know how proud I am of them. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I said, taking care of you know, especially those those junior leaders, right? The people who have the potential to do great things, and 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 being able to help them is is an is a reward in and of itself. And I want to go back to my experience in the military with the junior enlisted. There wasn't food insecurity. You want to know why? Because you lived in the barracks, you ate at the dining hall, <laughs> yes. and you had no choice in it. And and you know, for a lot of those junior soldiers, I think you know these eighteen year old kids. Had we not had a barracks for them and food for them. They might not have. They might not have eaten because the reality is, when that eighteen-year-old gets that first paycheck, 
We know where that paycheck goes. Yeah, it goes uh, somewhere else. It goes somewhere else. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's out having a good time. Other times it's going to the predatory car dealerships and other organizations right outside of base that take advantage of the soldier. And then the soldier doesn't have money. And then I remember, you know, as a commander having to deal with some of the stuff where the soldiers would get behind in payments. And, you know, that, it, was, it was always interesting to me that all of a sudden now that's my problem. Right? Exactly. Somebody took advantage of the soldier. The soldier can't pay. And now it's the commander's problem to deal with the soldier who can't pay. Exactly. And, you know, there are things like that that, 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 that always uh, bothered me. But but in terms of the, the, yeah, the reward for helping those individuals. And, yeah, I think about it. That, you know, the 18-year-old that goes into the military, we take care of them. We make sure that they always have a exactly. place to sleep, enough food to eat. Uh, you send an 18-year-old to college. They're on their own for the first time, maybe, and yeah, it's it's you know they don't have those same uh, that same supervision, and you know, and it's it's you know, and, and and not every not every young person needs that, but but several of them do. So I want to go. I'm going to move to the after action review. I want to know one example of great leadership that you that you observed, or maybe it was your leadership, and then one example of horrible leadership that you learned the lesson of what not to do, the cheap lesson, the mistake that someone else made that you will never make. So the biggest thing I want to, one of the stories that I tell my students is that um, at one time when I was this, a sergeant in the Air Force, I kept getting pulled for the extra duties, you know, how we always had those extra duties. Um, and we just had a big, huge assembly about sharing the wealth. We're going to spread it around some more. We're not going to have the same people doing uh, the, the extra duties. But my name kept coming up. And so finally, I went to my commander. I said, we just had this conversation. You just had this assembly. Why do I keep getting pulled out of my office? And he said, because you're being requested. Because not only would I tell them what we needed to do, but I would actually do it with them. And so one extra body, I wouldn't sit there and just watch them do it. I would actually start doing it to me. The quicker I can, we can get it done, the quicker we can get back to the office. Um, and so I think that is one thing that I, I can help with is that, you know, lead by example. Um, one of, I've, I've had a lot of uh, experience with micromanaging, you know. I'm one of those people in the military, born and bred, you know, I know what I need to do. I don't need anybody to babysit me. But you have supervisors that want to babysit you. And I'm sorry, I just feel like I don't need that. You know, let me, give me my instructions, give me what I need to do and let me do it. Don't come back at me every five minutes. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where you're at? You're going to get the same attitude every single time, you know? So that's one thing I make sure that I don't do. I don't go over, over and say and harp on those those, those individuals to make sure that they're doing what they're doing. Um, and then I've had great leadership. I mean, my, my boss from um, the military when I was in civil engineering, we're friends now. We just spent 10 days of vacation with them in, in California. We have a very strong bond. In fact, he walked me down the aisle when I got married because my father had passed away already. So those relationships are really important. And I think that's what really brought me here to the VFW is because we just came back from visiting with my military family and I felt like I needed that. So I joined, I just recently joined the VFW like two months ago because I felt like I still needed that family because my family isn't here. I only have my husband and my son and, and their family. And so that, that camaraderie, I think, is what I was missing. And I learned that just recently, that that's what I was been missing. Because I've been out since 2001. 
Yeah, and I think you know uh, the service organizations like like the VFW that do so much. You know, uh, sometimes the focus shifts over to all the stuff that they're doing and all the help that they can provide. But it seems to me the greatest benefit is community, is bringing us back together, giving us a place where we can, uh, you know, meet with fellow service members. Because the the real value in the military service is always with the people. <laughs> people will complain about everything that happened, but nobody. You know, what I always hear is, you know, I I, miss, I don't miss digging holes. I I don't miss deployments. I don't. But man. Man, do I miss the people. And it's places like the VFW where you can come and, 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 and meet with fellow service members. And it doesn't matter what branch. Yesterday I was celebrating the Marine Corps birthday with a bunch of Marines. I was the only Army guy there. But, you know, it, it's, it's just I think that, you know, organizations like the VFW, uh, and especially strong ones like the one here in Omaha, you know, they build a, a community where we can reconnect. And, and it's people who understand each other. It's we, we have the same values. And so it's easy to have a conversation and, and, and talk about things that civilians will never understand. understand. Well, my husband, I didn't get married until I was well into almost my forties. I was not married as you know, during, during my military service. So my husband didn't get to see any of that. So being with my, my family and my camaraderies from when I was in the military, he loves hearing those stories and he can't get enough of them. Um, but he doesn't know how to experience that. So now he's seeing that. He's seeing that experience, even though his brother did serve. Um, but he wasn't around for that. So he's starting to learn more about what I'm doing because I didn't talk a lot about my service, but now I am. And seeing the videos and talking to my old supervisor from from civil engineering, you know, in California, he was just eating up the stories, you know, because he's never heard them before. Um mainly because, you know, my parents have been gone for some time now, and those, that's where we kind of really talked about it um, with my family. And so he, he missed that. And I think now he's starting to see, like, wow, I didn't realize you did that, and I didn't realize you did that too. You know, I didn't know that you did these things. And so I think that's helping him as well as to understand, like, how I am as a person because he knows that if I set my head something, if I'm setting myself to something, I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to stick to that. And I've done that the entire time I've known him. And we've been together for 14 years. So now he's starting to see like, okay, that's why when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You know, that's why you're going to dedicate yourself to that. And he, he, he sees that now. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we are, as veterans, we are resilient. We're relentless. And, you know, the, the civilian counterpart may see you as stubborn yes. right, or very driven, but the reality is this is you know, this is, this is who we are. And this is who, who, you know, I think it's what drove us to military service. And then once we were in, then all of a sudden there are people like us. Exactly. And, and then, and there's this community of just driven individuals who want to work together as a team, accomplish a mission. And then for those that didn't serve, they don't understand where does this drive come from? Exactly. So, well, thank you so much for being on the Veteran Led Podcast, Laurel. And where can people get a hold of you? Uh, Laurel Mitchell at Bellevue University. And oh, no, it's, it's L Mitchell at Bellevue.edu. Okay, L Mitchell. And um, anything else you, today on Veterans Day, anything you want to say to your fellow veterans? Biggest thing is, is, you know, if you're, if you're missing those things that you're used to having when you're in the military, go to the VFW, go to the American Legion and see what you can do. Because volunteer is really important. That's, we're serving our veterans is what we're doing here. Um, we're not asking you to volunteer for everything, but what you can. Because the veterans now we're still working veterans, you know, so we still have a very busy schedule. So fit in what you can. And even if you can't volunteer, come and sit and have a, a, a soda or a water. Even if you don't drink, come in and just talk to people. You'll hear their stories. And at the VFW, we go from 
the Vietnam War all the way to current. You know, there's so many different um, uh, age groups here. And I'm one of one female here that, you know, there's women here as well. So just come in and join us as much as you can. It's a very big family and somebody will get up and sit down and talk to you and introduce themselves. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, it's really, it's really fun. Yeah, it's all about community. Thank you so much, Laurel. Uh, so it's been an honor to have you on the show and, and to hear, hear your story. And thank you for all you continue to do for our veterans. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Veteran Led, where we pursue our mission of promoting veteran leadership in business, strengthening the veteran community, and getting veterans all of the benefits that they earned. If you know a leader who should be on the Veteran Led podcast, report to our online community by searching at Veteran Led on your favorite social channels and posting in the comments. We wanna hear how your military challenges prepared you to lead your industry or community, and we will let the world know. And of course, Hit subscribe and join me next time on Veteran Led.